Hey, what's up, everyone? And welcome back to another episode of Young, Beautiful, Successful. It's a podcast about Ariana Grande, and I'm your host, Gabby. So this week is actually the season three premiere of the podcast. We're going into our third year running this Ariana Grande show. So I'm really excited. Thank you so much for all of the support over the years and the growth that we've had with the podcast year after year. So I really appreciate it. Thank you all. And as always, remember to subscribe or follow wherever you're listening. Rate and review if you listen on Apple because it really helps. We have been charting so well on the music charts, which I feel like are so competitive. I think we were in the we were number 64. So if you could leave a review, it would help us get even higher. And as always, follow at Ariana Podcast everywhere on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, of course. A lot of you are from TikTok and Facebook also. Our last episode, I talked all about Ariana Grande's engagement and her Netflix movie, Excuse Me, I Love You. So if you want all the information about that, especially the engagement, I know a lot of you guys have been sending questions about that. I go super into detail on the last episode. It's just called Ariana Grande is Engaged. You can't miss it if you go to the Unbeautiful Successful page. And you can get all the details there. This week, I'm super excited about my guest. It's Claire and Ashley from Celebrity Memoir Book Club, which is my favorite podcast right now. I listen to every single episode. The podcast is about what it sounds like. It's about them reading celebrity memoirs and talking about them. So I knew they were the perfect guests for our episode this week, where we will be talking about Cassie David's book, No One Asked for This, which got a lot of attention in the press because she addresses for the first time her thoughts about her breakup with Pete Davidson and how he started dating Ariana Grande days, weeks after. It was a very quick turnaround and the fallout that happened. So we get into it. Um, Claire and Ashley are great with all of the criticism and hot takes. So it was great talking to them and I think you'll all find it super interesting and nuanced. So I'm going to play a song that's a little bit on theme for this week and then we'll get into it. Here's the thing, you're in love with a version of a person that you've created in your head that you are trying to but cannot fix. Uh, The only person you can fix is yourself. I love you. This has gone on way too long. Enough is enough. Okay, so today we're joined by the hosts of truly my favorite podcast right now, Celebrity Memoir Book Club. It's Claire and Ashley. I've listened to every single episode of their podcast. So good. And I had to have them on. So welcome, Claire and Ashley. Thank you Hi. so much. Yeah, thanks so, for having us. Of course. So first of all, since this is an Ariana Grande podcast, what are kind of your general thoughts on Ariana Grande? Do you like her music? I, really? I like her. You love her. I was speaking <laughs> the we. <laughs> I like really, I always liked Ariana Grande, even like when she was just the girl on YouTube doing like impressions. Mm-hmm. I remember being like vaguely aware of her and liking her then. Um, 
honestly, she always had music where I call it a bodega music. And right now <laughs> she's definitely out of that right now. But like right now, Haley Steinfeld, I'd say is the bodega music. Queen. <laughs> and it's just like that song that's always on and you know all the mm-hmm. words, but you have no idea who sings it. And it's like always number 12 on like a top 100 count. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I like when she was in her bodega music phase, I loved her. And then when she licked the donut and said, I hate America, even back then I was like, I get it. She's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And then I would say when Thank You Next came out, I was, oh my God, no, Sweetener we were obsessed with. But then when yeah. Thank You Next came out, that's when I like, it was the first time I'd ever been like a true stan of somebody where I was like, she gets me. This is humiliating. But I remember when that song came out, I like played it for my dad and I was like, no, listen to the words. And you're just like, <laughs> what are the words and I was like you don't get it (laughs) (laughs) yeah sweetener I would say sweetener was her like exit from bodega music because we listened to that song like not that song the whole album we would listen Mm -hmm. to the whole album front to back that whole summer and then we made a rule that we couldn't listen to successful until we were successful but I still do listen to it sometimes but we would like just skip that song because we didn't deserve it (laughs) I just want to know what it would be like to be so young and have this fun and be successful. Mm -hmm. We have fun. And at one point we were young, but we have yet to be successful. (laughs) I love that song too. Um, I also know, so you guys used to have a Britney podcast. Do you feel like there are similarities between Britney and Ariana or not similarities? I would say Ariana, I feel, is, like, one of the people who, like, Britney died for her sins kind of thing. I really do believe that everything that Ariana gets to do is because, like, they ruined Britney. Like, Selena is somebody who I would say she got, like, they learned their lessons on the first pancake that was Britney. I would not say Ariana and Britney are in the same realm in terms of everything about them is that they're successful for is different. What would you say, yeah. I think that, like, the blueprint of going from, like, child actor to international pop sensation is, like, the only real, like, their outline is the same, but, like, everything inside is, like, completely different, in my opinion. Because I think that she, I mean, people obviously, like, scrutinize her intensely, and she's, like, clearly, you know, dealt with some stuff because of that. But I don't think, I think that she also has, like, kind of a more supportive family in a way where like they're not using her and I think that she also has like just kind of a better head on her shoulders and she's more of a musician I adore Britney but she's not a musician I mean when you watch her performances from the early 2000s it's just like mind-blowing but I think Ariana is a singer right yeah definitely um do you guys have like particular favorite songs of Ariana a lot oh my god (laughs) I mean, it really depends on the mood I'm in. Right now, my – actually, if I walk from – sorry, I'm just going to pull up position. So right now when I walk from Ashley's house home, my my playlist goes shut up, 3435. I skip motive. I do mm-hmm. just like magic. I skip off the table. I listen to 630 about eight times. <laughs> I love that one. I think 630 is my breakout star personally. Mm-hmm. I skip uh, safety net. I skip my hair. I listen to Nasty twice. <laughs> I skip my thing with Ariana is by the time the album comes out, I'm always over the singles. Mm, <laughs> so yeah. I'll skip positions and then I listen to POV until I cry myself to sleep. Mm. And so that's kind of my, I think my all time favorite Ariana. I graphic. love POV. I think I should switch to Spotify just so I can know like objectively what my favorite Ariana Grande mm-hmm. song is. But, um, I was saying, I mean, not to ta- get ahead of ourselves, but I was like, what Cassie David did poorly in 30 pages, Ariana Grande 
crushed with like a one three minute <laughs> song and a gay voicemail. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah, you did not need more than in my head. I love in my head. Uh, God, I I would say. I mean, going back to Thank You Next, too, I think NASA is, like, one of my favorite songs ever, and so Mm -hmm. is, um, God, what's the other one that I loved? Oh, wait, it's from Sweetener. I love, I love, um, or did it just go? Every Time is one that I always forget that I love, and then when I go back and re-listen to Sweetener, I'm like, Jesus Christ, I adore this song. (laughs) Actually, I'm like overwhelmed by Ariana's sluttiness in the music. I actually have a working theory <laughs> that she's never had an orgasm. Oh. And that's why she's so much hornier than all of us because she's been edging for like 10 years now. <laughs> because I just don't think to be this horny is sustainable if you're like an adult woman with a career. And then also like at some point you have that thing where you're like masturbating and then you finish and then you're like, oh, what was it? <laughs> and then you feel like – I don't think I really do think she's never like had sex to completion, and that's why she's able to like, <laughs> can you stay up all night, fuck me till the daylight? Mm. Like at some point, you're like, I don't know about you, but like once I'm done, I'm like, back off. I don't, <laughs> I don't think she's ever done, and I think that's why she's able to maintain. Um, I love, I love fake smile. I've been a real fake smile. I like that one too. Smile. Obviously, Seven Rings is still a banger. I think. Oh, but my point was, I think her only true horny song is Every Day. Hmm. That song like gets me horny, and I'm like, yeah, that one is, I think, like a real good horn song. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> My best friend in LA, I used to live there, um, was for a while dating Mac Miller's brother. And so oh I like, met the whole gang and we like had a little barbecue at their house and me and Ariana Grande played Jenga. Oh my gosh, what? That is a crazy story. <laughs> wow. What, wait, so what happened? So you played Jenga with Ariana Grande, just casually. Yeah, it was like a Labor Day barbecue thing, but it was really like... 10 of us what year was it out it must have been like 2016 or 2017 yeah probably 2016 that sounds right because yeah 2017 she was on tour yeah and it was just like a labor day barbecue and we just like ate barbecue food like grilled shits that like a chef made (laughs) and um and she was I don't remember her outfit distinctly because I was like 
curious about it. You know what I mean? Like she was wearing like six inch stiletto boots and Mm -hmm. then black overalls and a red bandeau. And I, like, I asked her, I was like, why are you wearing those shoes right now? And she was like, well, it's just like more comfortable for me at this point to like my, I don't know. Like I think that like celebrities get Barbie foot disease. Like I think oh. that like this happened to Sarah Jessica Parker too. Like yeah. I think that their Jessica feet. Jessica Simpson says it's more comfortable mm-hmm. for her to be in heels. I think that their feet just like when you are walking around in heels that often, like she's on stage, like fully dancing in stilettos. Yeah. And I think that your feet just like change. Yeah. And so oh, and she was just wearing okay. like really fancy, not like, I don't know if they were fancy. I'm, I'm sure they were fancy, but like whatever. And then we like both talked about not really having big boobs. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I cannot believe we had just a casual conversation with Ariana. That's crazy to me. But wow. Great it's story. like my shining moment. This will be a chapter <laughs> in my memoir and I'll have a conclusion about it. Celebrities yeah. are just like us. That's my conclusion. <laughs> oh, <with Barbie> feet. <laughs> so, um, I wanted to have you guys on because you're the queens of celebrity memoirs and on your show, something that I love is I feel like we're obviously we're having this Y2K like nostalgia right now and celebrity memoirs are kind of of that vein because it seems like there's kind of like a 20 year runway from Mm -hmm. your prime, like the most famous people that you guys have done on the show, in my opinion, be like Jessica Simpson or Mariah Carey who were in their prime in the early 2000s. And then they just recently came out. They both came out with memoirs last year, Mm -hmm. 2020. So I was just kind of thinking about that with Ariana, like an Ariana memoir probably wouldn't come out till like 2040. I have a theory about her. I think because she is of this like new generation of post Y2K pop stars where they're not trying Mm -hmm. to run them into the ground and like push them to the edge of suicide. She will be allowed to write a memoir at an appropriate age, which mm-hmm. is 60s plus, like at a point where you have actual retrospect. I think me and Ashley talk about this. My theory for her is that eventually, like she'll keep doing the pop star stuff. Eventually she'll have kids and she'll stay relevant. But I think she's going to have a renaissance in uh, musical theater, her one true love. And so I don't think she'll ever have to have that like career read of like comeback the way Jessica and Mariah did. I think she'll like always have the career of her dreams, but her dreams will change. Mm. I also think that there's something really interesting to the like Y2K era megastar memoirs because like the current generation of celebrities all has social media and they're able to like clarify any like any wild misconceptions or like a truly damaging situation. They're able to just like take to the notes app and post Mm -hmm. a notes app screenshot. Whereas like Demi Moore, Jessica Simpson, Mariah Carey, like all of these celebrities were absolute tabloid fodder and had no avenue for clarifying anything. And so I do feel like a lot of these memoirs, I mean, not so much Mariah Carey's, but a lot of them have been sort of a return to like all of these like generation defining faux pas, like here's the side that you didn't see. And so that's like one of the reasons I think that they're so interesting is because like we were raised on these news stories, like hearing like Jessica Simpson's side of that time she wore mom jeans to a chili cook-off, like (laughs) is like, I remember that exact thing. And so hearing her side of it, like doesn't feel weird and out of place in a way. (laughs) I don't know. I think that that is like a really interesting thing about that era of Mm -hmm. And I think with like Mariah Carey and Ariana Grande, I think are good comparisons. And something very interesting now is 
like the Mariah Carey memoir, one of the big takeaways is that she wanted you to know she wrote all those songs. And of course she was always writing her own songs from the get go, mm-hmm. but she never really got credit as a songwriter. Right. Whereas I do think in the Taylor Swift era, um, we had Britney Spanos, who's like a Rolling Stones writer, come out and say very like it is a trend now where it's much more interesting to be a singer songwriter after mm-hmm. all the boy bands and the Britneys people wanted to feel right. like authentic in the music. And so even though Mariah was authentic the whole time writing her own music, she never got the credit that like Ariana Grande gets, even though she like obviously is writing her music, but I think less of it to less of an extent than Mariah did. But I do also feel that because everyone's like a songwriter as well. Now you do know them better. Like you do feel like you have a peek behind the curtain with songs like ghost in and in my yeah. head and like you get mm-hmm. their side of the story. Totally. And they're like literally putting names in the songs. Like she has a song called Pete Davidson. It's not like, yeah. who's this yeah. about? What's this metaphor? It's like, no, she's saying, I love my fiance. <laughs> May that relationship rest in peace. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was a good segue for the main topic that we're going to talk about. So I had to have Claire and Ashley on because they're very good at reading. And <laughs> Cassie David, <laughs> Cassie David, um, I have the book right here. I'm like a talk show host. So Cassie David came out with a book of essays called No One Asked for This. Cassie David is Larry David's daughter, and she famously dated Pete Davidson right for two and a half years. Um about and they broke up about a month before he started dating Ariana publicly. So I guess I'm going to take a page out of your script. Normally, what were your thoughts on Cassie David before you read the essay that I sent you? I've always been like, shut up. I mean, obviously, there's a million um, like nepotism, children of slaves right. in the world, but I feel like this one's stomping on my turf and I just have no interest. And like, I really do think people were like, actually, she's really good. And I was just like, don't you fucking say that to me. Um, When she wrote this book of essays, I tried to start reading that one excerpt in the cut. I remember thinking this Mm. is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Not only was it like uninteresting, I read it. It was about having sex when you, after a meal and how you're full. Yeah. And I was like, okay, not only is this like uninteresting and unoriginal, but it's like not even true. Like the first sentence is about how our generation grew up in the blue balls epidemic like how people started the rumor of blue balls and I'm like my mom grew up with blue ball like did nobody fact check this this is even like a fact this is just gen- like did you ask your mom did you know about blue balls like the first paragraph wasn't even and it's weird that none of this is true even that wasn't true <laughs> so I like don't love her but I don't hate her I never hated her I was just like not impressed mm-hmm. yeah I will say that I I feel like I found out about her existence when she started dating Pete Davidson because it was like this whole like oh this young SNL hotshot and like Larry David's daughter or whatever yeah. comedy adjacent power couple or whatever. Um, and I remember being surprised at how pretty she was because I don't know Larry David's like goofy looking. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And then like knowing her only via Instagram and just like short captions and her being pretty, I was like she seems cool. And then when I found out anything about her, I didn't like her. Mm-hmm. Like she like had a web series and I was like we did not need this. Um I don't like whenever I read I she wrote like an essay for like Marie Claire or like I don't know where she started writing essays for various magazines yeah. and I read like one or two of them and was like my god we didn't need you to do that. And then she like, I read that two folds of fuck thing. And I was like, in what, what is this about? (laughs) 
Like, you're too skinny. I don't understand. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? And then this, like, God, I have a question for you. Did you read this whole book? Yeah, I read the whole book. And I, so I honestly didn't know, I really knew nothing about her except that she dated Pete Davidson and that she kind of, yeah, kind of like what you said, like, oh, she seems cool because she's the daughter of a famous person. Like, that was literally all I knew about her. Um, Yeah. So I read the whole thing and we can get into kind of your thoughts, but basically the her tone is very self-deprecating and I do think a lot of like the highlights of the book is hearing about Larry David I I kind of hate to say it but it because she write she writes about her dad so obviously she knows him really well and you kind of when she quotes her dad you kind of hear it as Larry David in your head and so it's funny um but we can kind of get into the story. Well, it's funny yeah. you say that because literally my takeaway was this is a deeply uninteresting person with very run-of-the-mill perspective. Like, oh, you have anxiety and you're from LA and you're rich? Interesting. Like, you know you're privileged yeah. and you're still sad. Like, this is the most boring perspective in the world to me. The, But she is a very boring person who has come in contact with interesting people. And I felt right. like her description of Pete Davidson was interesting, mm-hmm. yeah. but, but only because Pete Davidson's interesting. Yeah, I was going to say that my takeaway was that she is Larry David without, like, the funny twist and perspective at the end. Like, she mm-hmm. has, like, all – she's – like, the way that, like, Larry David, Jerry Seinfeld, they, like, take the tiniest little minute things and they're like, this is annoying, this is weird, this is stupid, but then they, like, twist it around and they're like, here's the joke at the end. Like, right. she only can point out what sucks – and then it's just complaining. Yeah, I found her <laughs> sulky. And I, one of my big things that I think there's nothing worse on earth than a sulky adult. I just have no time for that. But <laughs> I like, I didn't laugh once except for, and we can get to it, but a, an yeah. alienator or whatever commented something that actually made me laugh out loud. And I was like, <laughs> you have not made a joke. The only joke you could find was in the comment section. <laughs> um, so I guess I'll do like a summary of her essay. She has one essay about Ariana that I sent to Claire and Ashley. It's called Erase Me. And to summarize it briefly for the listeners, it's basically about how she goes on like a um, month-long vacation um, to her, her sister's graduation, college graduation, and then she goes to South Africa with her family. Oh, and they go to Martha's Vineyard in the middle. And, Very, and Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> literally a month-long vacation. Yeah. <laughs> month-long vacation. And right before the vacation is when she breaks up with Pete after the relationship had become very toxic, which we'll talk about. And then as she's away, it's when all of the Pete and Ariana stuff is going on and the essay ends with them getting engaged and kind of how she views everything through uh, the internet and everything that's going on, her friends and family reactions and how no one can relate to her because it's a unique experience. Um, so <laughs> kind of get into it. I also felt kind of like what I was saying about Larry David. I felt like the most kind of juicy stuff from this was I felt like I now I understand what it's like to date Pete Davidson and why he has been in so many whirlwind relationships she describes him as like he made me feel like I was the only girl in the world like they would wear matching outfits like he would get tattoos of her he ended up doing the same things with Ariana um she made it she was like I never worried about him cheating on me and how it was really great for the first few months and then his kind of toxic traits which are because he has mental health problems borderline personality disorder um those and he would threaten suicide threaten self-harm and that that kind of comes later in the relationship and I feel like Ariana probably experienced something similar 
Yeah, I will say also the essay opens with mm-hmm. her being gifted this trip, right. like with the way the mom announces it. First of all, they're notably Jewish and she mentions it a yeah. lot. And so it talks about them celebrating Christmas and the dad complaining, like Larry David is always like, why do we celebrate Christmas? And it's like, great question. Why are you guys like <laughs> opening up presents on Christmas morning? Like I get having like a family meal on Christmas. Like most families do that no matter the religion, mm-hmm. but like just because nothing's open. But the fact that they always open a present and <laughs> the mom always gets some shitty presents, like pistachios or whatever. And she's like, it's yeah. so weird. And it's not even a joke. I don't understand what she's doing. So it's like, okay, so you're ungrateful for everything you've ever been given. <laughs> and then the mom gets on a trip to Africa. And she's like, I can't believe we have to go to Africa. I hate traveling. And it's like, okay, so you hated getting soft <laughs> and you hate an elaborate vacation. Like, maybe make a list next year. Like, just give them and tell them what shirt you wanted. I don't understand what's happening. Well, like, in that opening paragraph, what's clear to me is, like, why it's actually hard to be a writer and, like, why people shouldn't just be given books. It's very clear she is aware that, like, they're billionaires. Like, I'm pretty sure Larry David has a billion dollars. And what the one thing I know about the mother, which is interesting bringing into it, is that she is famously what they call, like, um, like a limousine liberal in that her big cause is global warming, but she's mm-hmm. often taking private jets. Mm. So she is like, like she is, there was an article in the New York times, like specifically calling her out about how she will like the greenhouse emissions that she lets out to go to a fucking like school function to tell people to turn off the water when they're brushing their teeth is like more damaging than anything she's trying to protect. Oh so that's God. like her. Perso- yeah. We should say, so Kazi's mom is Lori David, and she produced An Inconvenient Truth, which is like the Academy Award winning documentary with Al Gore. So and so that's her whole thing is she's all about mm-hmm. being green, but she like yeah. famously is also a billionaire. So yeah. that's Very what I know about these people going in. And then it's interesting because I think you see that she knows she's a billionaire and she needs to acknowledge that and also seem down to earth and relatable, but also like make fun of herself which is a very tough thing to do. Like as a comedian, it is very hard to like find that line of being self-deprecating and relatable and honest. And you know what I mean? Like it's hard. She cannot do it. So in that first paragraph, first she talks about how she hates Christmas and her mom always gives them a terrible gift, like scrunchies or hair ties or natural deodorant. But then the weird thing is she's like, but one time I made a joke about it to my mom and my mom got really mad at me. And so it's like, okay, well, is it a joke or is it not a joke? And then like, it's like they don't even – it's clearly – that's not the only thing you're getting. You're billionaires. Like, so it's clearly a joke, but you're not allowed to acknowledge it's a joke. And then she's like – my mom was like, millions of children would be happy to get a bag of pistachios on Christmas. <laughs> and then she goes, which made me feel bad because that's true. And I was like, wow, you're so out of touch that you don't know. Actually, millions of children would not be happy to get – like, this isn't Little House on the Prairie. Like, like, <laughs> like you don't even – you're like – it's very like what could a banana cost? Like, you know, middle-class kids, they would die for pistachios. They can't even <laughs> afford guac. And and She's just like an ungrateful fucking lunatic at every turn. Like it, even before you get to her, like not understanding the joke or being appreciative or understanding presence at all is like her complaining that like every night, the night before Christmas, they argue over the fact that they have to wake up at 9.30 a.m. for this Christmas tradition. And she doesn't want to wake up at 9.30 a.m. She wants to sleep in on Christmas. And everyone's like, you have to wake up at 9.30 a.m. for our family breakfast. And she's like a bitch about it. And it's like, okay, so you had to wake up early. You had to get a present. You had to eat a meal with your family. Your life is horrible. (laughs) Let's get to the next part. And then it's all about how much she hates vacation and how she doesn't actually think she mm-hmm. – I think the line that stuck out to me, let me just grab it, is she goes, I don't need to 
see the world to feel well-rounded. My, my insecurities do that well enough. Um, God, what? and she like, and what she like, why do we have to go to Africa? Why can't we just look at photos of wildlife together as a family? And it's like, well, (laughs) clearly getting you to sit down with your family is a fucking chore. So they have to whisk you away to Africa. You ungrateful (laughs) little bitch. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So that is the whole context of this whole essay. So that is very true. It's also such unnecessary context because mm-hmm. she could have just said that they were doing this family trip. She didn't need to tell us how badly she hated this family. <laughs> mm-hmm. What did you guys think of the Pete Davidson stuff? So I guess with all of that vacation context in mind is then she's like, I'm going to use this opportunity to break up with my boyfriend. I thought that was smart. I mean, my problem with this whole essay is it like lists things and the things that are interesting. So the things that come in contact with Pete Davidson, they come in contact with Ariana Grande or whatever. Mm-hmm. Those are interesting because those people are interesting, but she offers almost no insight into anything. And so like, I find it like I did find that interesting because it was revealing of him, but she could have made it an essay about like, what is it to be young and in love and not know better than to be in a codependent? Like I imagine she's been in therapy since this is very textbook codependent, very textbook, um, like borderline personality disorder. I mean, I think we've all had a relationship with somebody who makes you feel so amazing and then tears you down and it's mm-hmm. all encompassing and you think nobody else in the world can relate. And I think what blew my mind about this is that with two years of retrospection, she still thinks nobody in the world could relate. Like, yeah, he was famous, but the relationship itself was very cut and dry, just a toxic first serious relationship everybody Mm -hmm. has had a toxic first serious boyfriend yeah I would say that like the boyfriend that I broke up with quite recently had a lot of like unaddressed mental illness and like I recognized a lot of those things and like what she was saying about Pete like I um I don't know just like the way like I did kind of think it's like this weird thing where you like know that they're just mentally ill and so like nothing is your fault but like also like I am a little bit self-absorbed and like obviously she's a lot self-absorbed and so you like do kind of have yourself convinced that like if you were to remove yourself from their life, like like you're the thing holding them together. And like she mm-hmm. really doesn't acknowledge like that like that's insane. Do you Wait, know what I mean? If like she, she had been Gia Talentino, if well people keep comparing her to David Sedaris. If she had been a good personal essays writer, she could have made an interesting essay about when you're in the depths of a relationship like this and you've so convinced yourself that you're the only person holding them together that like you need to be up till 5 a.m. every day um, keeping them from jumping off the edge that you need to be doing these things that you can't break up with them and then to get out of it and be so proven wrong like what that does and like what advice you give and like looking at that type of codependency she did not do that at all that's what I was gonna say is like what I saw in this is that like she needed to be needed just as much as he needed her and it turned out he didn't he needed someone and she needed to be needed so fucking badly and loved how badly he needed a person Mm -hmm. and she was replaceable like all of them like she was like, oh, was this, did he not really love me? Like when he does the Harry Potter, one of the stories is their first day was at Harry Potter World. They're yeah. matching Harry Potter sweatshirts. And the first Ariana Grande photo he posted, they're in matching Harry Potter sweatshirts. So the exact same mm-hmm. thing. And I do think it would be a very interesting essay to be like, what is it to recognize in yourself that what you thought was love was codependency? It was just an addiction to the highs and lows. It was like, obviously on some degree, they did get along really well, but I don't know. She just doesn't ever really address that in a way that's, the whole point of the essay is that nobody can understand what she went through. Yeah. And even right. with two years, she still doesn't think anybody can understand what she went through. She still thinks it's deeply unique. And that's why it is a very uninteresting essay. 
because it has literally no insight. And every girl is reading this essay going, oh, no, I know what you went through. I went through that too. And <laughs> right. she doesn't know that every girl knows. <laughs> That's a very good point. And it it's is clear yeah, that she can't understand that because every time anyone is talking to her throughout this, like every time she mentions having an actual conversation with another person, she just like screams at them for not saying exactly what she wants to hear the entire time. Like every time a friend calls her, she even acknowledges that her friends are probably like can't deal with her shit right now because she's whatever. Like, yeah, let's get to the Georgetown stuff when she, the first leg of their month long vacation yeah, so she goes with her family to her sister's graduation and part of the grad and her sister's is a lot more like social and upbeat, I guess, than Cassie. And so part of like the graduation plans is that um Romy, who's Cassie's sister, her and all her friends are bringing their siblings out like for a night out. And so she Cassie goes and is like crying to all of the girls there and then they end up going to a club. Um and one of Ariana's songs plays, and so she goes home. So I have an interesting boots on the ground tidbit about this party. My brother went to GW the same year as Romy. They were like, did not get along. Um, I guess everybody like sucked up to Romy, and my brother is like petty, mm-hmm. like a girl is petty, and so he was, <laughs> I think, mean to her. And anyway, they didn't like <laughs> each other. But the real scandal that came out of that party is uh, Larry David's girlfriend, who she read references in the essay is actually younger than Cassie. Mm. And so Thomas said actually what everybody was talking about at the party was that this girlfriend was there. She was three or four years older than all of the kids partying. Larry was there with them. So it was like all of these recent grads from the ages of 21 to 23, the 60-year-old billionaire, and then his 25-year-old girlfriend. And apparently the girlfriend got wasted, was like, sloppy drunk was like almost blacked out and like that's what made it awkward was that it was like like Larry David was like taking care of this like puking girlfriend who was like the age of all the party (laughs) oh my gosh that is crazy I think okay so this is funny because she mentions a couple times first of all during this part during the the GW leg of the trip and then the Martha's Vineyard leg of the trip Mm -hmm. Cassie is like inconsolable like she talks about how the dad Larry I keep calling Larry David the dad (laughs) she keeps on saying that Larry David and his girlfriend have to like physically pull her out of bed she simply cannot get up yeah like and I think for a 20 like mid-20s girl to be going through this kind of breakup and to be this like just out of it and like it just she just can't she simply can't get out of bed she's like dry heaving she can't function I'm like bitch you're the problem like (laughs) what is happening here that like any sort of breakup could have led you to this level of like absolute like destruction and then the Mm -hmm. sister gets really upset because she feels that Cassie has sort of stolen all of the thunder from her graduation weekend which is a thousand percent true like she talks Cassie's like at the graduation ceremony I was just sobbing into my hands and I looked up long enough to like watch my sister get her diploma and it's like yeah I do think that if someone is this like it's one thing to be like sad and introverted and just kind of like not be talking over the life of the party and just kind of like keep to yourself but she is like this dramatic like well of tears the entire time like she won't go to dinner she won't go to this party she like won't do anything and it's like yeah you did ruin this girl's graduation 
And I just want to put it, so in that thing, she talks about how she's, like, taking her friends to the bathroom and, like, crying to them about her breakup. And they all keep trying to, like, offer their pieces of advice. And she talks about them as, like, 21-year-olds. She's, what, 24 when this happens? I literally said she has, the, like, you know, when a four-year-old meets a three-year-old and they're like, they're a baby. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, you're a baby. That's the perspective she has. So she's, like, she's, like, they're trying to talk to me about their high school boyfriends and someone they met on a cruise. They don't understand. She's, like, they have no idea what they're talking about. And I'm just, like, you dumb bitch. Like, you're not that much more interesting. Like, the entire point of this essay is to prove that her break is unique. And it's funny because the first these 21-year-old girls try to console her, but they can't understand because they've never been in love. And then she compares herself to Jennifer Aniston, and she goes, but if Jennifer Aniston doesn't understand, yeah. she was Jennifer Aniston. And then she's, like, she really thinks she's the only person, like, nobody's ever had a worse thing happen to them mm-hmm. than her in this breakup. At one point, she goes to the Anne Frank house, and she has a momentary acknowledging that maybe it was worse to be in Frank. And then at the end, she even <laughs> yeah. talks about going to a therapist and the therapist is just like, damn, that sucks. And like, as if she beat the therapist, like she was like the worst, most, she got dumped at 20. She didn't even, she dumped somebody at 24. And she thinks that that is the worst thing a therapist has ever heard. It's just like, so fucking crazy because like Pete Davidson is the reason and everyone knows she exists. Like, yeah, she's Larry David's daughter, but like, mm-hmm. I don't think that like, like Vanity Fair or like whatever. I don't remember where she was writing essays before all of this, but like Vogue, GQ. I do think like her name is a name because she was the one dating Pete Davidson and everyone was like curious about that. And then the fact that she was Larry David's daughter made it interesting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, she stayed because she was Larry David's daughter. And so the reason, like, she chose to date someone who was on TV, which is a thing that is hard. And mm-hmm. also she talks mm-hmm. about a lot – like, she's obsessed with her anxiety. Like, that's, like, an interesting thing. Yeah. Um, and, like, she talks about how every time she does anything in public, it's, like, you can't even imagine the pu- the shame and anguish she feels every time she puts something out in the world. And it's, like, interesting then you chose to write a book – Interesting then you'd made a website. Like, I don't know, for someone whose whole public persona is like being on your dad's coattails to try and get famous, it's like not that sympathetic that you have a lot of anxiety because you're just so rich. <laughs> yeah. It's like you really could have just like become a social worker or something. And like <laughs> I mean, not- he stayed home and lived off his billion. I don't know. Yeah. Like if being in public you- is so hard, stay home. Yeah, like if you're worried about people scrutinizing your Instagram, like don't post on Instagram. Rose's Instagram is private, just for context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like no one is making you be a famous person too. You're trying to very hard. Like you're really going for it, but then pretending that you don't want it. Like writing a book and then saying no one asked for this. Like ha ha ha, self deprecating that. Like no, but literally no one asked for like, it. Literally no. no one did. And like you're acknowledging that no one wants to hear from you, and still you nevertheless you persisted. Mm. I just like don't <laughs> know what to tell. Like I just don't feel bad for her. Like there's like a couple points where I could have felt bad for her. Do you know what I mean? Like, it is hard when you break up with someone who's mentally ill and, like, find Mm -hmm. out that you needed them as much as they needed you because, like, you really have this, like, aura of being, like, you think that you're the hero and you find out that you're not at all. Like, that is a compelling story. Like, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, having your ex dating the 
in one of the most famous relationships of the summer. Oh my yeah. god, it's interesting. Like for, but no. um, for con- <laughs> like for reference, there was that woman who wrote the article about her boyfriend dating Lady Gaga. I was gonna bring that up. Yeah, and it was a, like a New York Times op-ed, and it was very <laughs> interesting about how she was like she wanted to hate her, but it like made her it just made her in awe of this woman, and like obviously there's a time difference and there's an age difference and there's, but she was able to take this unique personal experience and make it universal. I mean, I get that Ariana Grande is like any is to the extreme, but every woman has had that experience of seeing who your boyfriend dates next and feeling in compare, like, and she didn't, she literally had the opportunity to say, let's look at celebrity culture. Let's look at how we treat women on Instagram. Let's look at like what Stan fan bases do when they decide to attack somebody. It was unnecessary for Ariana Grande's fans to get onto Kathy Davis' Instagram and tell her she She got like, she was left. Like she knows she was the second choice. She could have talked about that, but instead she said, Jennifer Aniston doesn't understand me. And it's like, bitch, I'm pretty sure Jennifer Aniston went through some shit. Like, I don't know. She really had no interest in taking her experience and making it universal. And that's why I think it's such a bad essay because good essays take a unique experience and make them universal, make you recognize our commonalities. She really, what the only change into her in the essay. So I was like a good essay is like it starts, you have perspective or something happens and then there's a change. And at the end there's like an awakening. The only awakening that comes in this essay is where she learns that actually she does like going on vacation in Africa <laughs> is pretty beautiful. That's the enlightenment. Right, there's yeah. no enlightenment about mental health relationships. There's no enlightenment about how we treat women. There's no enlightenment yeah. about herself. It's literally just like, actually, I did like vacation. Yeah, that's the way, change. Can I say the way that that part is worded is she's like, we got to Africa and we looked at our itinerary. There were so many safaris. We had like two yeah. safaris a day. And it's like, why did we need that many safaris? And then she's like, actually, it turns out they were really cool. And we did yeah. need that many safaris. And it's like, <laughs> what a psychotic way to announce that you being like, to be like, what a fucking ridiculous thing to have all these safaris on our schedule. Like, <laughs> It's I'm so, sorry. <laughs> what about the way, so when they get to Amsterdam, they have a guided tour of the city, which, and mm-hmm. she acts like that's the most humiliating thing you can do. I have to say, I've never once walked away from a guided tour and been like, that was a waste of time. Because when you're walking around a city, you don't know shit. And when somebody gives you mm-hmm. the information, it's interesting. She literally was like, he spent an hour explaining the history of Amsterdam from 12th century on and showing us maps. And she goes, this was never going to be helpful in life. And I was like, wow, not only are you not interesting, but you're not interested. Like, how could you be so fucking dense that you're in a city and you want no historical context or background or like understanding of why it is the way it is. Like you have to be so fucking stupid. Like, and then they go to Anne Frank's house and they're like, oh, this is great. And it's like, yeah, because you know the historical context. Because if you walked into an empty attic, you'd go, why is this important? It's only important because of the historical context. So like learn about Amsterdam, you dumb bitch. Can I say something, a part that I think is really interesting in the way she worded the response to the Anne Frank stuff? Like aside from the fact that, like you said, she said that she realized the only person who's ever had it worse than her on planet Earth is Anne Frank. Um, her and even that mom, only lasts a couple hours. She goes, a few hours later, I'm fine. <laughs> oh, sorry. Know, that's what I want to read. I want to read the exact way she words it. I took a screenshot because I found this so important. <laughs> also, her stepdad and stepsister like found it completely underwhelming. And Kathy right. thinks because they're not Jewish, maybe. Yeah. Um, she like they were just like unimpressed by the setup, yeah, and they like felt like they the could have done more. And it's like that is. I guess interesting that like you are surrounded by people who are like less grateful than you are, which is fascinating, (laughs) but like whatever. Um, The mom says, I wish I saw the room. I think I needed an after hours private tour. It was too claustrophobic. My mom reflected. 
And that was the moment the Franks decided to eternally haunt us. Paragraph break. The Anne Frank house sadness wore off after a few hours. Were you eternally haunted or was it two hours? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, what a weird thing to put those sentences next to each other that like your ungrateful shitty family is haunted forever. But like also you only thought about it for about five more minutes. What? (laughs) That was dark. And also that, like, I mean, for such a good Jew who's, like, so mad at these other people, she did not believe seeing Anne Frank's house was important until she got there and was like, oh, this is sad. But, like, literally it had to be brought to her eyes that it was an important thing. Like, she did not believe in it until the minute she got there. And then she was like, if you're not on board for the next lunch the way I am, (laughs) then you're heartless. Anyway, lunch is over. Back to my my issues. Yeah. I do want to talk a little bit about how she was bullied by the Ariana stands. So she didn't touch on it that much, but basically she just says that she would open Instagram and she'd have DMs from different Ariana fans being like Pete upgraded. They said, you look like an orphan. And then she connects it to, oh, they must think I look like Anne Frank. I just say Ashley's Jewish. And to me, Ashley does not look like an orphan, but Cassie David does. And it's <laughs> not the Jewish thing. It's, the the eyes that are like it's the oversized sweatshirts it's the always being glum it's the (laughs) the emptiness in her soul (laughs) yeah I will say it's like the dark sadness that like but like if she like where you like want to believe she's an orphan because then you're like oh that's why she's like that and then it turns out that she actually has a billionaire family that like wants to take her on fancy vacations and then you're like I need to believe you're an orphan for this to be okay. <laughs> the way that your face is, if you have anything, it's uh, it's not okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's okay that the Ariana fans bullied her. Like, that does yeah. feel really fucked up. I don't think that, like, I don't think that for any reason. I guess, like, maybe if she had outright said, fuck Ariana Grande, they would have had a reason to, like, dive in. But, like, the way that she was bullied by them feels, like, wholly unnecessary. Mm-hmm. I do think that is wrong. And But once again, like, a lot of things that happen to people are wrong. The reason you would write an essay about it is because you have, like, an interesting thing to say. She did not have anything interesting to say about it. Yeah. She did yeah. not, like, this one minute. happened and I hated it. Yeah. There's she never been- once reflected about how, like, it didn't change her opinion on how she treats other women. It didn't make her say, like, what are we doing with stan culture? Yeah. Like, there was not a single moment of reflection. Like it was definitely not Gia Talentino. You know what I mean? There was no I also larger. read Gia Talentino's book and I <laughs> rather enjoyed it, so I understand. Yeah. Um, let me think. I think like we talked about almost everything. Did you have any more thoughts about Pete Davidson? I mean, I do think so what I've heard on the grapevine, the comedy grapevine about Pete Davidson right. is obviously since Ariana, he's been kind of placed with a lot of up and coming celebrities. Mm -hmm. And what I had heard is that they are always like PR pairings, but because he is so like unstable, he does like genuinely fall in love with these women. And of course they are like Cindy Crawford's daughter, another person who, uh, daughter, like, you know, I mean, it's always like the most beautiful daughter of a very famous person. So it's not like he's not falling in love with trolls, but he does like, get obsessed with anybody you put in his line of sight. So mm-hmm. if you're pretty enough and in, in his line of sight, and I guess have enough inherited wealth, he will fall in love with you. Um, but I did think it was like, 
it was a very clear story of like what it is to be in love and like how mm-hmm. to be like made feel amazing and then you have to help them and like that emotional baggage but she did nothing with it like she really is good at the surface level bullshit but she has no second thought I know we got like a full paragraph leading into the Anne Frank house about how like she doesn't like wearing sunglasses and her mom always says you should wear sunglasses and she doesn't want to wear sunglasses and then she kind of wishes she did have sunglasses and I'm like thank you for this insight. (laughs) I have to say there was not a joke in it. There was not one funny punchline. Even she's like talking about natural deodorant. I mean there was definitely things she thought were funny but there was nothing... There was something that was actually funny. <laughs> I think that she, like, weirdly thinks by just, like, stating all of these, like, goofy, stupid details, she makes herself relatable. And it's, like, no, what's relatable is, like, making these, like, overarching themes relatable. Like, breakups, yeah. mental illness, family drama like whatever you want it to be like she just comes across like there's one part where when they're in the hotel in Africa she like is just so overwhelmed by her own like grief and confusion that she just like falls to the ground and doesn't care if she smacks her head and she just Mm -hmm. cries on the ground and I'm just like I literally have never been that sad in my life I don't (laughs) when I was 16 I remember being like writing this journal essay where I was like I'm so heartbroken like I feel like dirt but I wish I was below like I like I remember feeling that at 16 but I do want to point out I like wanted to highlight that exact sentence because the word you left out that I think is so critical is they're in South Africa and I'm sure they're at like the four seasons oh, of dirty floor. she called she goes I fell to yeah. the dirty Af- like hotel floor I was like bitch you're at listen I did a very expensive trip to Africa with my ex-boyfriend and in- I'm not kidding the hotels we stayed at were like three thousand dollars a night I'm sure she was staying at a three thousand dollar night hotel if not more expensive those floors were clean why did you say <laughs> they were dirty like you're not in on the ground in Africa you're on a four seasons floor like there's rich people in Africa too like it's so weird that she says that she like really calls Africa dirty a couple times she's like our plane landed on a dirt landing and I was like yeah bitch you're in the jungle that's what the ground is made of there it's not like some ramshackle that's just like what happens when you're so rich you get to fly private to the middle of a jungle to like watch animals hang out she is so she like lacks perspective and like I really do think it's because she won't listen to anyone else talk like Mm. she really and she will like acknowledge their perspective in a way that feels like almost worse than if she just was unaware you know what I mean like she's like I do see how me like screaming and crying all weekend during my sister's college graduation like was unpleasant for her but she didn't understand that I had my ex-boyfriend was dating someone new huh and it's like I think it would have been a more interesting essay if she didn't try so hard to be relatable because she's still not relatable and she's still not insightful so if she had just been like Here's the hotel we stayed at. It cost this much. The floor was not dirty. It was diamond. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? If she had been more like, if she's just been honest about what it is to be that rich, if she had been like, the flight that was so hard, we flew first class. Those tickets are $9,000. Here's what we, like, I am actually yeah. more interested in your rich ass existence. Tell and me everything like- else you got on Christmas. Tell me that like the reason you guys get goofy Christmas gifts is because every other day of your life, you're getting thousands of dollars of shit just for wanting it like do you know what I mean yeah it's like tell me that you got a shitty Christmas gift and then tell me what your trust fund looks like (laughs) yeah there are other points in the book she's so I guess her sister has more of like a regular job and like has her own money basically and there's parts where they get in fights because Cassie will use like her parents money to buy herself clothes or whatever and then there's another essay about how she was a PA on Curb Your Enthusiasm 
And so there's a lot of things. And that essay about the Curb Your Enthusiasm is the one that's supposed to be about Hollywood, like her take on nepotism. And I think in a lot of the press, it was kind of like, she has a refreshing take on nepotism, but she's very like, she doesn't paint herself very well. And I guess that's, I guess that's a good thing, but she straight up says like, my dad was the star of the show. So he got to order lunch from his favorite restaurant every day. And, and she would like ask like, oh, can I get um, food from the favorite restaurant? And they would be like, no, you're a PA. You have to eat craft services. And how that was, she like hated that. And she like, she kind of talks about how she wants the nepotism. She like wants the benefits of it. But then she also. She got the benefits. This yeah. book is the benefit. Like <laughs> yeah. the fact that anybody was reading about her dumb experiences. Do you know how many PA friends I have that try to tell yeah. me about their day? And I go, shut up. And these are my best <laughs> friends. And now we're reading about her one summer as a PA. That's the nepotism. Yeah. The fact yeah. that her benign, ordinary, uninteresting ex- existence is now like fodder for a bestseller. That's the nepotism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not that interesting. Like, I don't know. Yeah, and you said that like Drew Barrymore, who like went to rehab at thirteen. That's worth my time. (laughs) Yeah, I would have loved to like. I wish that she had like any interaction with like Ariana or anything like that. Like if she ever talked to like Pete again, like what happened? Like did she come to acceptance, or was her acceptance genuinely like I do have the worst hardest life in the world, and that is what I accept? I would have loved. I mean, because this all has been written since the breakup happened. What did she mm-hmm. think when Ariana went through that breakup? Did she have a moment of going, right. oh, maybe there is another person in the world who knows what I went through then? And maybe that, like, it was left. That's what I really feel like I, not to toot my own hair, but I feel like I nailed it when I said the only insight that comes out of the end of the uh, essay is that she likes vacations. There's no insight <laughs> into her relationship. There's not, like, no turning point. It starts self-absorbed it ends self-absorbed she to this day thinks that nobody has had it worse than her except for Anne Frank but even Anne Frank didn't have to go through a breakup so like it sucked but in a different way (laughs) yeah that is something you really don't get a lot about she does not say her thoughts about Ariana beyond she's a she calls her a public person and talks about hearing her music everywhere and 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 then she has the one line about how she imagines Ariana's like baby voice mm-hmm. um, talking to Pete, um, and 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 she makes comments, I guess, about her appearance being better than her appearance. But yeah. she doesn't really get into her her like anything interesting about Ariana. And yeah, she ends it with her notification from her agent that they are engaged. And her agent throughout the, I think there were maybe one or two points in the essay where she her agent is like don't speak on it publicly because it'll get in the headlines if you comment on it and it's also funny because at the end it does seem like she's a little bit better it seems like that trip to africa did help so she's like this like unrelatable breakup that nobody can imagine that's going to like drive her to death like it just took two weeks of vacation for her to kind of get back to a day-to-day routine <laughs> and you're like, okay. yeah and now no dido like two years later, she still doesn't have perspective on the fact that it did just take her two weeks. Like it feels like writing it out should have like in her mind led to some insight of like, my God, the fact that I like went to that dark place after that breakup, like probably says something about my mental health more than it says something about like just as much as it says something about his, like the way that he just like Mm -hmm. needed a placeholder to like lean on and that was her for a while and then it was someone else like I don't understand how she could have written these words and not come to any (laughs) real conclusion other than like or even like lived two years like 
Mm-hmm. She's in therapy. Oh my God. I do want to much. So it opens with an excerpt of a neuropsychiatrist oh, yeah. uh, evaluation of her. Yeah. That is like everything else, the least fucking interesting I've, thing I've ever seen in my yeah. life. Can I That's read it? Theme. Yeah. It's a theme throughout the book. Um, at the beginning of the book, um, just for context, she has like a longer version of the neuro evaluation. And then almost, I'm trying to think how often, every few essays, she has a different excerpt from her neuro evaluation. Okay. So can so I read this? She's the most mentally ill person alive or what? Okay. Can I just read this? <laughs> yeah. Her failures are likely to induce stress and feelings of inadequacy. And she is likely to incorporate blame rather than being able to appraise her circumstances and the demands they make realistically. Um, Oh, so failing makes you feel bad when you fail at something you think you weren't good enough to do it. What a fucking interesting thing that definitely needed thousands and thousands of dollars <laughs> worth of like professional aid. I, there's not one person on the planet that that's not true for. That is the least interesting insight I've ever heard in my life. And then that's supposed to make you like, that's why I took a breakup hard. You're different because you probably don't have that sense of failing makes you feel bad, but failing makes me sad. So when my boyfriend left me for a pop star, it made me feel sad in a way you can't relate to. Shut up. That's so boring. I guess people <laughs> in the Midwest don't go to therapy so they don't know. Sorry, I just don't put you. But I mean, like, if you're from the New York, if you spend any time in the New York or LA area, everyone you know went to a therapist. Yeah, and like that true. insight isn't particularly illuminating. And it's like, I guess if you're somebody who's like, oh my God, she's so fucked up. She went to therapy and had to get an evaluation. That is so run of the mill. That is if, yeah. if failure made you feel better, I would like be more interested in concern. <laughs> I will say to say that like that insight isn't illuminating I like wouldn't call it an insight you know yeah. <laughs> like, I would call really... it like a, a page in a textbook yeah to be like, like when you hit people it breaks blood vessels like that causes psychology 101 is just like people take failure to heart <laughs> yeah definitely okay I guess before we wrap up I feel like well, I feel like we kind of touched on this a little bit, but since you guys are both in the comedy community, mm-hmm. is she is she funny or like does like the humor or like attempts at humor does it allow for honesty or because just kind of circling back to reading memoirs, I know you've talked a lot about how everyone's kind of kidding themselves. It's really hard to write about yourself because you can't truly be honest. Mm-hmm. Do you kind of see that with Kazi too? I just like, I honestly almost like she is being honest, but it's just like not that interesting. Like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of people out there that you don't need to look deeper into. I did not see, not one thing in this essay made me even like think in my head, oh, that's funny. There's a lot of observations like natural deodorant doesn't work. It just makes you smell like lavender BO. And I'm just like, yes, but not even a, that comedian kind of thing of like, oh, that's funny. But like, just, yes, there's a lot of things she said (laughs) that I just went, yes, um, the it's one like thing, yeah, weird over sherry thing where she just like thinks that by including like mundane details, that is like, I think that that's what she thinks. The yeah, well, is. that's what I guess Seinfeld was. There's something funny in even the mundane, and what she took mm-hmm. from that is even the mundane. Yeah, and she missed the something funny, so she was just like noticing little things is comedy but what they did was say you can make comedy even out of the little things and she missed the like next step she missed the making it a joke part Mm -hmm. she's definitely pointing to things in the room that exist well that's what I was saying like at the very beginning like I do think that there is something like Larry David-esque to the things that she points out but there's something distinctly missing I guess the half 
she's only 50% his DNA. So like she got the pointing out like very specific little things, but she didn't get the the life experience or just like making it funny in any way. It's like, why did you tell me about the sunglasses? Um, Oh, can I say one last thing that I also think is very fun? Like it's funny not because she knows, um, but she has this one on like almost the very last page. She has a small little diary entry where she goes, you can tell Cape town is running out of water because they have it written everywhere. You look on the coasters, on the walls, even the Wi-Fi password was save water. There's an alternative hand soap that doesn't require water, so you don't have to use any to wash your hand. When Los Angeles was in a drought, the city almost did nothing. People still watered their lawns. It was eye-opening to see the contrast. That was it. You just moved. Like, it's so funny in this deeply narcissistic thing to have this, like, small little PSA that is also, like, bare, like, okay. I mean, once I, I read all of it and just went, okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Care yeah. to elaborate, Cassie? Care to like, <laughs> take a second look? Care to like draw a conclusion or take us to a second step or generalize or contextualize or look deeper? No, it's just something. Well, just another thing she noticed. This is what the Wi-Fi is. Okay, <laughs> is there a second part? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Any fi- any final thoughts before we wrap up? Did I forget anything? Um. That you wanted, or any crazy thoughts about the essay that we? I don't have any thoughts about the essay other than like every. I do think that I thought Cassie David was cool when all I knew of her was like chic Instagram posts and like flippant tongue in cheek captions. Because I was like, that is what the daughter of a very famous comedian who happens to be hot like should be doing. Is just like Mm -hmm. being hot and being in a bikini and like doing nothing and I don't want to know anymore and then every time I've learned a little bit more I feel worse and worse like I don't like learning more about her and I'm happy we read this essay because I think this is like a real good nail in the coffin for me on the Cassie David friend but like my god it's no good I will say one nice thing I had to say about Cassie David is Mm -hmm. I do remember that red bathing suit thirst trap she threw out there and she does look fucking phenomenal in that picture. <laughs> um, I just was looking at it before we got on here and I saw even Lord commented on it and made me mad wow. that all these like actually exceptional people like Lord are her friends. I'm mad yeah. that Amy Schumer put her weight behind this book and said that yeah. David is like a refreshing, fun new voice when yeah, her Schumer knows a million people who are like me and Ashley, I think could write a funnier essay right now. Yeah, um, we're refreshing. And it's just like, so that like put a kind of like that hurt me physically. She does look hot in that bikini picture. And I will say if I had been Cassie David's friend, what I would have said to her is most of the men I know say that they do not find Ariana Grande hot because she's such a child. And it like, she's so into that baby thing. And if you find that sexy, that's not a person you want to find you attractive because it is mm-hmm. like creepy to be into her little Lolita. I'm a sexy little, she's not just a bunny. She's a baby bunny. Yeah, I understand. Like a little baby bunny, and that would have made me feel better. It's like, oh, sorry, you're an adult woman, and that's like unattractive to him. But I don't want to be attractive to people who are only attracted to kids. That would have been helpful, I think. Very good point. No, I definitely, I see what you mean. I've definitely struggled with like, because I know Ariana has been on. She's on lists of like sex symbol or whatever, and I've, I've actually found that I don't always get the sex appeal because it's, I guess, disguised with so much like girly. And even a lot of like her Grammy dress from last year was like uh, the huge poofy gown. And it's like, I don't even know what your body looks like because it's always covered in like these really girly outfits. I do think it's a struggle because she is so tiny. Mm -hmm, Yeah. But um, she definitely does play up with it with the whispering and the looking up and the 
the very daddy no, the lollipop, but I don't know. Yeah, but we still love Ariana. Oh, I love Ariana. I mean, I, I think Ariana is a talent. I mean, I'll say it again. In my head was what we needed to know about Pete <laughs> Davidson. Right. She did an yep. infinitely better job describing and making, oh my God, that like voicemail she puts at the beginning with her friend. Yeah. That's, that's what you need to take away. That's the relatable story yeah. is what it is to date a toxic person and have yeah. to come to the conclusion that you just can't make it work anymore. I mean, that's better than this entire fucking essay. <laughs> okay. So I guess we can wrap up. Thank you, Ashley and Claire, so much. I really appreciate it. I love you both. Where can the people find you? Um, well, they can find our podcast. It's called Celebrity Memoir Book Club. There's a couple, but ours is specifically Celebrity Memoir Book Club. It's purple. It says by Claire and Ashley. So look there. And then we have our Instagram, Celebrity Memoir Book Club. We have our TikTok, Celebrity Memoir Book Club. And then on, I mean, don't even follow our Twitter. So just follow those. And then I'm Claire the Scare on Instagram and Sorry Don't Claire on Twitter. Love it. And I'm Ashley Ham, three M's on everything. Awesome. Thank you both so much. Great Thank talking. you so much. Yeah. This was so fun. I'm so glad I didn't have to pay for it, but I could still validate <laughs> that. I was Me right. That was <laughs> yeah, I was like, I know I'm committing like copyright infringement right now. <laughs> yeah, she does. I mean, oh, but does she need the money? I would love <laughs> for her to come after you and then write an essay about what it's like to have someone take a photo of your book. Mm. <laughs> That's actually the Emily Ratajkowski essay. <laughs> Okay, I want to thank Claire and Ashley again for calling in and taking the time to be on the show. It was great talking to them. I felt like they're so smart and well-spoken and hilarious. So check out their podcast. I'm going to put their info in the description. And as always, remember to subscribe or follow to Young Beautiful Successful wherever you're listening. Leave a review. Make sure you're following at Ariana Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook. And as always, I'll see you next time for another episode of Young Beautiful Successful. Bye. Peace.